0: Hello, and welcome to Plot Trists. This is Lane. This is Meg.
1: And today we're reviewing A Very Merry Bromance by Lissa K. Adams.
0: This is the newest entry in the Bromance Book Club series and was just published in 2022. And full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary copy of this book from Berkeley. So thank you very much, Berkeley.
1: We're deviating from our Christmas novellas a little bit because this is a full-length Christmas novel
0: i us say Christmas novel,
1: but I really liked it. One of the things I'm going to need to talk about is, as usual for the romance Book Club, excerpts from the book they're reading are interspersed yes. throughout the text. Oh and my God, let me yes. tell you, the first chapter of the book within the book made me laugh out loud. Like, it was every made-for-TV Christmas movie I have ever seen distilled into one paragraph, and I just like lost my shit.
0: I was going to say, it was so perfect,
1: right? Yes. Yes.
0: All right. Let's read the book jacket. Tis the season for a bromance book club matchmaking mission. This time, they're pulling out the mistletoe for everyone's favorite country music star, Colton, and his second chance at love.
1: Country music's golden boy, Colton Wheeler, felt the most perfect harmony when he was with Gretchen Winthrop. But for her, it was a love him and leave him situation. A year later, Colton is struggling to push his music forward in a new direction. If it weren't about to be the most magical time of year and the support of the bromance book club, he'd be wallowing in self-pity.
0: It's hard for immigration attorney Gretchen not to feel a little scroogish about the excess of Christmas when her clients are scrambling to afford their rent. So when her estranged, wealthy family reaches out with an offer that will allow her to better serve the community, she is unable to say no. She just needs to convince Colton to be the new face of her family's whiskey brand. No big deal.
1: Colton agrees to consider Gretchen's offer in exchange for three dates before Christmas. With the help of the Bromance Book Club, Colton throws himself into the task of proving to her there's a spark between them. But Gretchen and Colton will both need to overcome the ghosts of Christmas past to build a future together. I'm going to be honest, there were several points during this book jacket that I almost laughed
0: out loud because of, like, how much she's embracing this Christmas shit.
1: Yeah. um, Only criticism is it's not uh, consider your offer in exchange for three dates. Yeah. Like, that's a little more on the nose than anything that they actually discuss is
0: hmm we we need to talk about it i mean we will talk about it obviously because it's a huge plot point and it is correctly criticized oh yeah <laughs> so it's I, she just does a really good job with that you know she she's one of those authors we've said it before i know we'll say it again but she's one of those authors if an author points out that a situation is problematic it's much easier to read it because you know that they're in on the joke or they're in on the issue, right? She knows that what she's presenting to you is problematic. She knows that she's going to get you there somehow.
1: What's also great is there are several points where the men in the bromance book club in this book call out Colton for his plans with Gretchen. Uh-huh. And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're not. Like yeah. sometimes maybe Colton does know Gretchen better than they do. Uh-huh. It's it's great. It's just it's perfect. Very well done. As usual,
0: we generated a random number out of 15, and then we wrote our own summaries uh, of the book based on that number. For this episode, that number is 17. I will go ahead and start my 17-word summary. Your toxic family makes you get in touch with your crush and former one-night stand. Merry Christmas! Yes. I don't know. I was not
1: feeling inspired. Sorry. Sorry. No, I I think it's interesting because I don't think Gretchen would have called him her crush. Even though he is, though. She's definitely his. Yeah, oh, for sure. their dynamic from her standpoint is, like, one night stand in person she's avoiding.
0: She's avoiding him because she knows it could be serious.
1: She's also avoiding him because she doesn't want him to talk to her about it. Right. For her, it's, like, it's less crush and more... Anxiety. <laughs> yeah, for him, I it's mean, it's more explicitly I, it's a spelled. crush. But what's your seventeen Ritz summary? Lane woman self-flagellates as penance for being born rich, including refusing to date someone in her friend group. Hmm. Exactly. Thank you. It's true.
0: All right. Tropes. This is the classic sunshine grump at Christmas time trope, which is the I hate
1: Christmas. And the, but
0: Christmas is the best season, and I'll get you in the Christmas spirit.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, and then to lay it on with a romance trope t- uh, to go along with it, it's the one night stand that rocked your world and you want to be more.
0: Mm-hmm. I really like that trope, actually. And I love it when they put it with a holiday thing. I don't know why that it always works with a
1: holiday, right? There is a reason, especially a winter holiday, that cuffing season is such a stereotype. Mm-hmm. Like people are often emotionally vulnerable and wanting companionship. And I thought the way that Colton and several at several points in this book reflected on the fact that he knew Gretchen was v- really vulnerable in certain mm-hmm. moments and like whether or not that should impact how far mm-hmm. he was willing to take things mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Gretchen has a toxic family of origin.
1: To one of the most authentically dark places that we've seen a romance novel set in the modern day go. Yep. Without it actually devolving into like drug use and sexual abuse or anything like that. Because it doesn't touch that stuff. Mm -hmm. But it is really dark. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. But that, of course, leads to this trope that Lane has pointed out, which is, "You're the first person who's ever stood up for me to my family,"
1: and that turns me on. That second part's really important. <laughs> like, it's, and really it's important. always it's. This is one of those tropes that I don't know if it, it does go both ways, gender-wise. Like, sometimes it's the woman screaming at the dad, and sometimes yes. it's the boyfriend standing up to the dad. Usually, um, <laughs> but usually the dad, yeah. Usually, but I think with the when it's the guy who stands up, no, I guess it's, it's regardless of the gender, it's the same, where the person who's been shit on by their family their whole lives, the other person who did the standing up for is like, oh God, how are they going to react? Did I just overstep? Like, did yes. I just do something without their consent? And then invariably, they're like, they just got really quiet. Are they mad at me for speaking up? And then you get in the other person's head and they're like, I'm really quiet because if I say anything, I'm going to like try to have sex with you in front of my parents. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) That's exactly it.
1: It always plays out the same way and it is perfect. It is one of my favorite tropes that should never change. That's a good one.
0: There is, there is the bargain, right? Like the kiss bargain or the date bargain. It's, it's there as a trope. It's not the major trope of this. Book. It's also
1: less transactional than Ooh. that typically is.
0: I mean, like, it's less transactional than typically, but yes, it's, yes, more it's, it's, it's tra- tra- it is transactional.
1: Yes, but it's not the, here's a list and we must fulfill everything on it.
0: Yeah. Um. And then, I don't know, Christmas... Th- We'll talk about it later, but I think she did this really interesting thing where she always references a romance novel, so a fake romance novel that's like the manual for how he should approach his relationship. But she also really engaged. She did the the Christmas trope where she engaged with a Christmas Carol, as is referenced on the back cover about their their overcoming the ghosts of Christmas past. Right? Mm. Um, she engaged with that I thought in a really interesting way, and. That's what we'll talk about more, but FYI, A Christmas Carol.
1: I also think the trope, it sort of got close to class difference, Mm. but in a really interesting way. So he was raised really poor, right? and that definitely shaped him. She was raised obscenely wealthy, and that clearly shaped her. And now he's living an extremely lavish lifestyle, and she's living an extremely austere one, and by beco- by being the black sheep of the family and then consciously to- turning her back on what the family represented, she's very much chosen privacy, too. Mm. Yeah. So you've got that he's a public figure with money, and she's an extremely private figure who not only isn't wealthy, but explicitly rejected that life.
0: Right. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's the introvert-extrovert pairing, right? Yeah. The wallflower rogue.
1: But I mean just think it's, it's not Wallflower
0: rogue, but it's engages with the same personality types exactly. okay, all right. Let's talk about this book because there there's a lot that is going on in this book. And in general, I think Leslie K. Adams really succeeds with it. I was very impressed with this book. I'll just say that. okay. Um I really I really liked the Christmas romance book tie-in. I think it felt authentic, and it was. Really funny.
1: I genuinely think that was my favorite part of the book. It was really good. Just the number of made for TV Christmas movies I have seen in my life and like Harlequin grocery store romance novels that aren't even that explicit, I have read just because they're Christmas themed in my life. Mm -hmm. And with only 10 pages, how she deftly summarized and celebrated and made fun of and admitted to a secret love for those in like literally 10 pages was perfect yeah it was perfect and
0: then so we all know we don't all if if you have if you if you don't know this sorry i just said we all know this but most people know that the the conceit of this series is that there's a book club of men who read romance novels to sort of better understand female psyche basically and to help them with their relationships they actually call them the manuals yes in a little bit of a reversal of what we've seen in the series Colton gives Gretchen the Christmas book to read. So he gives her the romance novel. So she's the one reading it. He has read it, but he's kind of, he's like the he's like the host of the book club. And so he leads the book club discussion.
1: Yeah, the boys were less involved with the romance novel aspect in this book. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I thought was interesting is Melissa K. Adams usually only uses the book as a plot device to parallel directly with the main story. Mm. And so in this case, you got the setup, but then she didn't go back to it. Right. And so like he kept saying, you'll figure it out. They both have their reasons. You'll figure it out. And I feel like she stopped using the novel within a novel device a lot earlier here than she had in the earlier books in the series. Mm -hmm. Like you never found out why the the love interest was there and what his stake in all of it was. Cause it wasn't relevant to Colton and Gretchen, but I just found yeah. it really interesting. Like the way that Lissa K items like uses those book within a books and has used them very differently yes. throughout this. Series.
0: I mean, I think that's one of the things that's, that's the most successful about this series is that she's not letting this conceit get stale because she yes. uses it in a different way for each book.
1: Right. Like some of them, it has been about the sex in this one, the book within the book, there was no sex. Mm-hmm. there was sex within the book i'm not saying this is not a romance novel but right
0: i just also think that she's like that lissa k adams is really brave in some ways to like really take on these progressive issues and put them in these i they're not regressive books but they're relatively conservative they're set in Kentucky right is this not Kentucky Tennessee, but, Memphis thank you Tennessee Nashville yeah yes Nashville and um she's just not she takes no prisoners like she takes no shit she's like you know what this is going to be explicitly progressive and you're going to read about it and I love that about these books I just really love that
1: I, I also right. love that I I will double down on that. And I think we should include this in the episode. Not only are her characters explicitly progressive on specific social issues, but the conflict isn't about people disagreeing with them. Yep. So like those issues and the presentation of the issues as like kind of one sided, like, hey, immigration is good. Abortion is good. End of conversation. Mm -hmm. That doesn't end up being a point of contention later in the book, even from the villain. Mm hmm. Like, they make fun of her for devoting all her life to public service, but they don't ever make fun of the cause. Yes. And I thought that was just a really interesting choice for her to say, like, yeah, I'm putting it out there as if this is not controversial, and I'm going to double down on that by having the worst characters you can possibly imagine still not acting like it's controversial.
0: Yes. I – anyway, I just – and her books have all been like that. hmm And this is – I – it's one of the things I think it's the thing that we have appreciated the most about these books is that she's both funny and these are rom coms, but she also weaves in these like really important social issues with a generally a deft touch, in my opinion.
1: Right. And I think if I wanted to quibble over things that I sometimes find frustrating about the books, it's that I don't necessarily feel like the dialogue or the relationships are realistic because they're painted mm-hmm. through such a let's talk about our feelings in a very explicit way that I actually don't think many people in real life do.
0: Well, of but, course they don't. That's why they have the romance novels as manuals,
1: Lane. Right, but the flip side of that like, is, I'm willing to take that because everything else in the world building is so perfect. Yes. That if the biggest complaint is like, this display of male feminism, solidarity, and like friendship is unrealistic. Like okay, fine.
0: <laughs> oh darn! What what a what a tough what a tough thing to have in a fantasy for women. I know. All right. So I liked that. I also mentioned that I really like the way she engaged with a Christmas Carol in this book. Mhm. Um. She did it explicitly in a very similar way to the way she uses the romance novels, the manuals, mm-hmm. in quotation marks. In that they talk about a Christmas carol. They each, it's almost like a book club situation. Again, they each talk about their own interpretation of a Christmas carol. And then they actually talk about which character they see themselves as in Mm. a Christmas carol, which gives both you as a reader and then they, as people getting to know each other, a little glimpse into their psyches or at least their ego, I guess, how they conceptualize it themselves. I thought it was really well done. Again hmm So, I liked it. And I did like the bros. I like the bros. I know you find them a little inauthentic, but...
1: I do, and I think here... It's getting a little late in the series for me. It is. Is the best way to put it. Like... They are...
0: This is a late series book, and it does feel like it, because they all appear...
1: And then they all sort of get just enough dialogue for them to be the, like, caricature of themselves. Mm -hmm. But at this point, their relationships are established, so there's very little drama between the men. And it's more just like, look at this found family being cute together, and there's just so many of them. There are a lot of them, and a lot of them have, like, multiple kids. Yeah, and I know this is... I contain multitudes, but my least favorite thing about Christmas novels in general is all the fucking children. Right. I understand that everyone's like, but isn't it great to see Christmas through a child's eyes? And it's like, no. <laughs> I want to see it through my eyes. I want to put booze in everything.
0: I want to put booze in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, so it's always just where the guys showed up, it was, like, with their whole families. And I was like, okay. And I, like, skimmed along in those parts. <laughs> Aw.
0: I liked seeing Vlad again, because they don't have kids yet either. So I was into it.
1: Again, he was just really one note.
0: I mean, yeah, but that's it's a it's a teddy bear note. I like. Yeah, it. but it's
1: it's it's late series. The all the <laughs> other men in the book club. It's a late book in a series. That's it is... it, I don't hate it. Like I recognize it, and this book series is long at this point.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean, I am wondering at this point if she's gonna if she, I'm assuming she's continuing it because. This probably they probably would have said the final book in the Berman's Book Club series, you know. But I don't know who's going to be the next bro.
1: I could take guesses, but that's all I'd be like. I, there's right. not like an obvious one coming out of this book,
0: exactly. And I do feel like all all the others were obvious. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, and then we talked about this a little bit. So you talked about their sort of their upbringing and then current socioeconomic status is sort of the reverse, like the mirror image of each other. And I thought that worked really well. So they were sort of foils for each other. And that was the same with her career. So her whole career is a passion project, right? She's not doing it to make money. She's you. It it appears to be that she's using donations and then like, her trust fund to fund it. Like she's not making any money from her clients uh, because she's the kind of immigration lawyer who is working only for the underprivileged basically. Right. And her career is like a big fuck you to her family basically. And, but it's also a passion project. Like she feels very passionately about it and feels that it's, she's doing something good for the world. Mm -hmm. Like she's contributing to the world. He, on the other hand, it started out as something passionate for him when he was poor, right? Or like he needed to make it and his his motivation was to take care of his family. He wanted to take care of his family, right? Now that he has made it, he's feeling this pressure to stay on top so that he can continue to provide for them. But he's kind of lost his muse. So I thought that the career foil was really interesting too. So I thought, again she did a really good job with those character aspects.
1: Absolutely. And I think with both of their careers, they're both in industries that can be very stereotyped, I think, Mm -hmm. in media. And she did a good job of fleshing out what I think are the realities of those industries. And I don't mean like it got really deep, but Colton at several times talks about like how his entire existence and tours and being able to produce music involves a team of like 100 people. Mm-hmm. That like yes, he's a celebrity, but he is also like the head of a business,
0: the job, a job creator.
1: Well, but but he runs the show. I like know. he makes a lot of boring business decisions every yes. day too. Yes, and yes. she talks about you know just how much of her time spent working for the underprivileged is going to court just to beg for a stay mm-hmm. and doing paperwork and mm-hmm. researching minute changes in immigration law that. Maybe aren't published in major media, and you've got to read deep into the Federal Register to find them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I just thought, like, no, it wasn't like deliberately to see make these jobs seem less glamorous. It was just, it was nice for a series that hasn't had very many characters with what you would call a real job. Yeah. It was a nice acknowledgement of no one's job is as glamorous as the architect in the made-for-TV romance.
0: Yeah, right likes to be. We didn't love everything about this book. No. I I have to say, I didn't love so she has told him very clearly that she's not into Christmas. She doesn't like Christmas. She doesn't do Christmas. She's not into it. And he just keeps pushing the fucking Christmas shit. And I can tell you that I would have been so
1: annoyed if I were Gretchen. I think beyond just the Christmas shit though. I've talked before on this podcast that I sometimes really love the especially male partner who knows the woman better than she knows herself in terms of what she needs so she can finally be vulnerable and weak even though she's desperately trying not to be. Mm -hmm. This book took that whole concept too far even for me. Like I'm a sucker for it beyond the point that it's socially acceptable and there were multiple things, usually the Christmas stuff, but sometimes even just with her opening up about her past that he pushed and pushed. And it's like, dude, you fucked this woman once a year ago. Hmm. And I get that you fall in hard, but you're giving her no space. Yeah.
0: For I thought it was also kind of interesting that, and I don't know if Felicity Adams did this on purpose or or like why she didn't talk about it. But for example, he never is like, "Do you celebrate Christmas? Like, are you Christian? Are you Jewish? Are you a secular Christian? Like, the religion was never a part of it." And I get that to Colton, Christmas was is not religious because it's not. Like, he's celebrating in this, like, I love Christmas. I love giving gifts. I love this all the secular trappings of Christmas. Trimming the tree, all that stuff. And I get that. But I, I, I feel like it needed a little bit of discussion, you know? I just feel like it needed just a little bit.
1: I disagree in that. I am really loving how like socially acceptable it is to just have a secular Christmas and take it for granted. But I agree with you that because all of this was about her Christmas trauma, the idea that that had nothing to do with her family's view of religion, of which Christmas is a celebration, did feel a little bit like okay, that probably should have come up. Yeah, like well, well, I'm glad it didn't, but I get it, what you're saying.
0: I'm not saying that it had to be like a whole long discussion. I just feel like he should have just sussed it out just a tiny bit like are you jewish you know like i i had a colleague who um who was jewish and she did like no holiday at all like no secular holiday you know even if it was not linked to a religious holiday right? She she did not celebrate it. And she, if you had tried to push it on her, she would not have appreciated it. That's, and that's kind of what I'm thinking, too. You know, like, he didn't have to say, like, blah, 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 but maybe he could have been like, do you yeah. have a philosophical
1: or a, an objection to Christmas? Do you, you know what I mean? I do, and I, like, I agree with you, but I also am trying to think how that would have played out. Mm-hmm. And I think if either... Gretchen or Colton had been forced to articulate their faith, especially if one of them had a I don't believe in God. I think that would have alienated a lot more people than even her unapologetically talking about our immigration system as archaic and cruel.
0: Yeah. I I feel like it could have been, I actually feel like it could have been very easily addressed if he had just said something like, Do you have an objection, like a philosophical objection to Christians? And she's like, Nah, I just didn't love how we celebrated it growing up. It's all she had to say, and it would have been
1: enough. yeah, I just I think it would have been a tightrope.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. But I felt like it was missing. I'll just say that when I was reading. That's fair. Be- because he was pushing the Christmas shit, you know, it's, been, it's not it's obviously not sexual consent, but it was pushing the borders of some kind of consent for me. He ignored a lot of her boundaries. That's yes, exactly. definitely for sure. Okay. Um uh, so that was the that was like the main thing that I was like, I don't love it.
1: Okay. So my main thing that I didn't love, and I, I don't remember if I've talked about this specific thing in these books. Lisa K. Adams leaves nothing to the imagination. Whether it's like joking about Vlad's bodily functions or even just like the way people talk about their routine in the morning. I understand some level of, and then I got my coffee or whatever adds color to a scene. But like every fucking time that one of them had to go into the bathroom, she'd have to make it clear that they were answering the call of nature. And that (laughs) phrase was used twice by both of them. And I'm like, look, you can just be like, went into the bathroom to perform nightly absolutions. Like, (laughs) I don't need to know that you like washed your teeth, brushed your teeth, like, wash your face brush your teeth and then went to the bathroom like that is implied by you are in the bathroom I don't (laughs) need you to write a paragraph about what it's like to go to the bathroom oh it actually kind of upset me I was like I just there is a realism that she seems to embrace wholeheartedly that I would actually prefer not be present
0: yeah whereas it's that one is perfectly fine for me so
1: I I was just like I don't ever want to read that phrase in a romance novel ever again as far as I'm concerned, people in romance novels don't use the bathroom, and I'm okay with.
0: Them. I'll keep that in mind. We're moving, I think, into content warnings anyway, so let's go ahead and get there.
1: Okay. I think.
0: I think for me, I don't know. Do you want to? Do you want to kick this off? I I don't know how I want to talk about this.
1: Alrighty. So we've talked in the past about how Meg is really aware of physical violence being used as a trope in romance novels or a device to show how like even the most civilized of men can resort to violence to protect their girl. Yeah. And in this book, Evan finally does stoop to that level with the big bad and the book. And it actually has consequences. Yes. That are way bigger than just like interpersonal dynamics.
0: Yeah, and this was really hard for me to deal with because, like, maybe he should have faced those consequences, you know? Like, he stepped over the line, and for a lot of people who read this, they'd be like, wow, that's so romantic. I was like, first of all, I just didn't love it anyway, right? Because I, as you said, this is something that I just don't love. Because why is that? Anyway, whatever. (laughs) I don't have to get into why. But... Then someone actually faces the natural consequences of this action, and it turns into like this thing. It, this is the main conflict of the book.
1: Right? I thought it was a weird choice personally, yeah, to have the situation escalate the way it did
0: mm-hmm.
1: to have there be real tangible consequences beyond just the interpersonal dynamics. And then to never have him reflect on his behavior with any kind of remorse. I think that's why it bothered me. Because, like, I'm, whatever, you're going to punch your jackass brother, go for it. I'm, like, not going to respond to that. But I think to have it be something that had such dire consequences, and he literally never even, like, the only thing he articulates about it is, I'd do it again. Yeah. And I just thought that was weird. Like the, I didn't recognize myself, and I wasn't proud of myself in that moment, but he fucking deserved it, and I'm glad I did it. Like, it just, it felt very weird to have it be portrayed as this, like, potentially criminal act.
0: Well, potentially criminal act, and also potentially career-ending
1: Yeah, and to have decision? there be, like, no element of, man, I wish I'd used my words instead of my fists. Yeah. Like, and using I... his fist was the only option there.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, I can I can handle it in like a vampire romance. You know?
1: Can I be really dumb? Yeah. You know what would have made me feel a lot better about it? What? If the guy he punched had instigated the physical violence first. If like me, to me any too. degree the physical element could have been painted as a to a degree of self defense. I agree. But because uh, look, it was truly unprovoked physically, like no one was in any physical danger, having it get that violent that quickly was a little bit like, oh, even to, even to me, who is not sensitive to it?
0: yeah. and it's it plays into a lot of things for me. It plays into this whole idea that it, in again, in this is a series where we're really looking closely at like toxic masculinity and like, what is masculinity and things like that. And the fact that she uses this as the main conflict and that he's really not held accountable to the reader at all. No. It was really tough for me. That was tough for me. That was probably the toughest part of the entire book for me. And I i thought so much of it was well done.
1: The toughest part for me was still the call of nature. <laughs> but that was probably number two. <laughs>
0: okay. There are more content warnings. We already talked about her toxic family of origin. It's... Um, Very dark.
1: She is the youngest child with two older brothers. And while you see on the page her oldest brother being emotionally manipulative, you learn that there were events in their childhood that her brother should have been, if not institutionalized, then at least in treatment for. Mm -hmm. Like things he did to her. And it was, I want to be very clear, it is not sexual abuse or incest. No. Um, but he he physically harmed her and emotionally continuously abused her in a way that all of the adults were if not complicit in then complicit in choosing not to see. Yes. And it was extremely upsetting to read.
0: Yeah, it was it was very difficult. It's very triggering. You know. Um and then the big bad was he just is is basically terrible. Mhm. He's a psychopath. He's, like, cheating on his wife with more than one person. I don't know.
1: I found the twist a little lackluster here. Mm-hmm. Just, she's got one really good relative who sort of implies he's got the goods all book. And the way it finally manifests, I was a little bit like, that's it.
0: That's it? Yeah, I know. I agree. Okay. Mm. Uh, sexiness.
1: I think Lissa K. Adams is better about writing buildup than sex. Yeah, I don't disagree, and that was reflected for me here.
0: Yeah, And th- that also I think I think I've read enough of Lissa K. Adams' books at this point to understand that she, her explicit, her sex sex level explicitness level, her flame level is like there's going to be one explicit sex scene that is on the page. And then after that, they're going to have sex and you're going to know that it's good, but that's it. You're not going to know where where their hands are, as Lance says. Yes. So, but it was, I mean, it was sexy. I didn't hate the sex, like the sex scene is sexy, but it, there is one sex scene and it never comes after the conflict is resolved.
1: <laughs> also, I'm going to try to say this without spoiling it. And if I fail, I'll put it at the end. They make the determination, apparently, or she does, that there's a long list of reasons that they shouldn't be together. And, like, her first one way back in the day is basically like, oh, no, I don't want to fuck someone in my friend group. But then it becomes a, well, if you take this whiskey deal and we date, that's a conflict of interest. And I don't really understand why.
0: Right. I know. She doesn't work
1: for the company.
0: Well, I mean, she she will that's the whole point, right
1: she'll she'll be on like the board of the charity, which will yes. not be working for the company. like it right. won't be
0: she it, won't it, there's no hierarchical like sh- he won't be reporting to her. She's not going to be directing his work,
1: but she won't even if all she does is distribute the charity arm, she won't be at any part of the operations mm-hmm. of the actual company itself. like I think there were a couple of things here presented as real difficulties that weren't mhm. I found the conflict very frustrating, especially when the conflict intersected with where, what they could and couldn't be to each other and when they weren't and weren't, were and weren't having sex in that dynamic. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Thought it was very weird. Yeah. But I'm going to be honest, to me, it was a successful novel. I did really, I really liked it despite some quibbles. Um. And I thought it was a good Christmas novel, too, but I'm not the one who gives the candy cane ratings. So I'm going to turn that over to you, Lane.
1: Uh, this is going to be a high one.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to
1: give it a four. I was debating between a four and a four and a half out of five. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the he loves Christmas, she hates Christmas trope. Their first date is to like a Christmas on the water. Mm-hmm. Super festive somebody dresses up as Santa, he's singing Christmas songs, you know, her, she grew up with, like, the commercial Christmas to end all commercial Christmases, their second date is decorating a Christmas tree, like, this really leaned in, I think the only thing it loses some Christmasiness for me regarding is the, um... Lack of like gift giving, and like Christmas mm. wasn't tied into the grand gesture. And like mm. the ending wasn't like a and this is the Christmas miracle,
0: right. I see. That makes sense to
1: me. Like, but the vibes through the whole thing were very Christmas. Oh. You just never got like that maximum Christmas moment, the maximum Christmas
0: moment. <laughs>
1: yeah, at the end, I, the beginning was Christmasier than the ending.
0: That's true. That's true. even though it basically ends like on Christmas day, practically. Right.
1: But you know, do you know that the, the most popular Christmas song in Ireland all the time that starts with it's Christmas and the drunk dick. No. Oh my God. So it's by the Pope.
0: Wait, I can't hear you. It's called. Fa-
1: I think that's called the fairy tale of New York. Okay. It's not even really a Christmas song. And apparently there was some like situation in Ireland years and years ago where like they kind of made it the number one Christmas song as a national joke. Okay. But then it's been the number one Christmas song every year in Ireland since. And so like it literally starts with it was Christmas Eve in the drunk tank. Okay. And then at one point, the lyric is, uh, Merry Christmas, you ass. I hope it's our last. Jeez. Yeah. So it was, it's like really dark. It's about a couple who hates each other after moving from Ireland to New York City and like (laughs) failing as immigrants. It's just a whole situation. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, did you know that the original lyrics to Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas included... Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. It Could Be Our Last. No. <laughs> yes. And um, they were, conv- I think it was Irving Berlin who wrote that. He was convinced yeah. to change it. <laughs> it wasn't Irving Berlin. Who wrote that song? I, I think is a solid entry in the series. It does a lot of things I absolutely love. So.
1: I don't and know, it's very Christmassy.
0: It, it is very Christmassy.
1: If they just like, if the ending had been kissing under the mistletoe in front of a Macy's window. It would have gotten a five. It just, like, it fell a little short of that final moment. And I do think authentically, but I I do think when you lean really into the Christmas trope with a family that shitty, you want there to be something redeeming. And the fact that the redemption was she'd set boundaries because they still sucked (laughs) was a little, like, believable, but not very Christmassy. It's
0: true. It's true. But... But anyway, I do. I do recommend this book. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, check it out. Especially if you've read the other Romance Book Club books. Don't skip this one.
1: No, I, but I do think very strongly don't start here. Oh, I agree. Thank you guys so much for listening.
0: Um, And have yourself a merry little Christmas because it could be your last. It could be your last.